Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Ooh, do you have a sweet tooth? Do you have an ailment? Do you feel that your life could be a bit more hale, a bit more hearty? If so, this may be the episode for you. Shout out to our number one snake oil salesman, our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Give him a hand. Give him a patent medicine. Ah. Max only sells the good stuff. He sells the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I what I think about being called a snake oil salesman right here. <laughs> well, uh, how about a purveyor of sweetness? How about uh, we call you the ridiculous history uh, Candyman, uh, Willy Wonka style Candyman, not the uh, horror film Candyman. Purveyor of quality remedies. I'll go. Not Tony that, Todd, so. the marvelous Tony Todd. <laughs> I do like Tony Todd. Yeah, classic. Who uh, can score the character podcast? Actor. <laughs> who, uh, you know, was, of course, you know, Lieutenant Worf's little brother. Mm. Is that right? Oh, okay. Here's Max with the Star Treks. Star um, Trek facts? Yeah. Well, we Play could it. go there. Or we could. Play yeah. it. Yeah, uh, there's got to be another another version of it, though. Max, you'll take care of that. Add some whooshes in there. But no, it's true. Candy, right? We think of it as sort of like a, something for children, you know, or uh, whiny adults. I don't know. Any adults can like candy, but we do think of it as a way to placate small children or something that's sort of like, you know, yeah, grow a little bit. You always talk about you get older, you start to lose your sweet tooth and get more of a sour tooth or like a, you like grosser things when you get older. I think it's just because your taste buds start to like die and you need to like jolt them with, um, you know, weird stuff like kimchi. Oh, but like you and hard boiled eggs. I'm Ben. I didn't way. used to like them. Love them now. Hey Ben, it's me, Noel. Uh, yeah, you, you got me dead to rights. I used to despise hard, hard boiled eggs. And now in my, uh, my twilight years, um, I, I really like them quite a lot. Candy, or, you know, the, the sweeter things in, in life, culinarily speaking, used to be a little bit more part of the pantheon of like kind of quack science, you know, mm. um, early medicinal remedies that may or may not have actually done the job. Some of which did do the job, but tasted so disgusting you couldn't get anybody to choke it down. So you needed to sweeten the deal a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. A spoonful of chocolate helps the uh, laudanum go down. Kidding. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say you're bored. And it's December 1896, so you decide that you're going to thumb through the latest edition of the Druggist Circular and Chemical Gazette. This is a mail-order catalog of all the best products for your local pharmacy at the time. 
And if you look through the many pages advertising things like McElroy's glass syringes or Hirsch and Franken-Co's lab coats, you'll also find Hershey's cocoa powder. It's, according to the ad, perfectly soluble, warranted absolutely pure, and it doesn't it doesn't advertise things like a wonderful taste. It doesn't say it's delicious with marshmallows in a drink or anything like that. It reads like it's an ad for medicine, which, of course, it kind of was. And it's exactly what Mary Poppins is talking about with the Spoonful of Sugar song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're pulling this rundown from uh, The Unlikely Medical History of Chocolate Syrup from the Smithsonian by Maya Y. Haas from September 6th of 2017. And she set it up beautifully, this scenario of like thumbing through this edition and then seeing something that sort of now would seem out of place amidst all the other, you know, tinctures and and syringes and uh, and all of that, medical devices perhaps. Let's do a quick backtrack to the history and the story of the miraculous cacao bean, which are grown, which grow organically or indigenously in Central and South America. They're actually considered fruits, and uh, the plants themselves create these cool-looking pods, each of which contain around 40 beans, which are then dried and roasted to create uh, cocoa beans. The rawer versions are actually often used in kind of holistic medicine today. Um, they offer kind of like, you know, zippity doodah kind of properties, like they give you a little lift, you know, and also they uh, purport to have other you know, kind of medicinal benefits. It's not exactly clear when people started kind of getting a taste for them, but we do know uh, that the love of chocolate by the human species goes back many, many thousands of years, 3,000 roughly, uh, as early as 1500 BCE. And you would see it in the remnants of the civilization of the Olmecs in Mexico. Yeah, and I was lucky enough to spend some time at a modern-day cocoa farm when I was knocking around Central America for various reasons. Uh, You'd be surprised how how, uh, close the modern techniques can be to the ancient techniques that we're going to discuss here. Uh, This is, by the way, this is a strange story about chocolate syrup, if you're wondering, when are you guys going to get to it? Let's set this up. For most of the known history of what becomes modern chocolate, these beans were probably consumed as a drink that was either made from uh, made from a ground pulp of the beans or made from the beans themselves being fermented, roasted, and then ground. This was not your grandmother's hot chocolate. It wasn't sweet. It didn't have like milk or cream added. It was probably really, really bitter. Historians still aren't sure about whether the ancient Olmecs were using the straight-up beans or just the pulp because Olmecs kept no written history. That is right, fellow ridiculous historians, the folks who first used chocolate were fiending for it well before they started writing stuff down. Uh, So it makes me think that everybody needs a little caffeine to get started, maybe even civilizations. I also want to shout out a great, uh, great history article, History of Chocolate from 2018, that's where you can get a pretty solid overall view of this. Like you said, Noel, we know that Olmecs are often cited as the first chocolate-loving peoples due to traces of something called theobromine. This is a stimulant that you'll find in chocolate and in tea. And this theobromine was found by archaeologists in pots uh, that you had just mentioned earlier. And then we know there's a bit of a chain of custody here. The Olmecs pass their knowledge of this great, though very bitter drink to Mayans in Central America. And Mayans kick it up a notch. They don't just like this stuff. They revere it. It's the best thing ever. It's like Tickle Me Elmo, that one Christmas several years ago. Uh, Their written history has numerous mentions of chocolate drinks used for celebrations and then also even like consumed ritualistically to make a transaction official. And despite the fact that Mayans loved, loved, loved chocolate, it wasn't just for the 1% of the time. Pretty much everybody could get access with it. In a lot of households, if you're doing pretty well, you would have some form of chocolate with every meal. It was combined at this point with chili peppers, honey, or water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you call it uh, 
sometimes when you see chili or cinnamon added to hot chocolate in the U.S. today, it'll be called Mexican hot chocolate, right? You guys had that? That's right. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, even at certain coffee places, you can get like a Mexican mocha that has like a bit of a, a cinnamony, spicy kind of chocolate additive to it. And I really dig that. Big fan of uh, adding spice to the chocolate. The Aztecs kind of took this whole cacao game up a notch. Uh, they believed that this was um, something that was passed down to them by the gods themselves. These beans, by the way, or these pods, they look almost like an almond kind of. And the Aztecs really treated them with the utmost of respect. They actually used them sometimes as, as a form of currency. It was, at the time, something that they considered to be more valuable than gold. We know how much the Aztecs revered gold, right? That's pretty interesting. Still not as much as the Spanish. Hey, oh, but, uh, but you're right. You're absolutely right. It was used as currency. Check out our earlier episodes, by the way, on other th odd things used as currency in the past. So. The Aztecs were a little less democratic or egalitarian in their enjoyment of chocolate when compared to the Mayan civilization. Aztec chocolate was a super upper-class luxury, and if you were lower-class, it would be a special treat at big celebrations like weddings. There was one guy we know in the historical record who, rumor has it, was chocolate's number one fan, probably in the world at this time. Montezuma II, this guy supposedly just drank, just housed gallons of chocolate every day, both for general energy and for amorous energy as an aphrodisiac. Uh, he also would save some of these cocoa beans for members of his military that he liked. All he could say is this, it's good to be king. Pretty much nobody else knew about chocolate at this point until Europeans began venturing into what we call the Americas today uh, toward kind of the end of the 15th century. And Noel, it's, it's weird because the specifics are unclear. There are a couple of stories about how it made its way to Europe, but we know that it first hit land in Spain. That's right. Um, we have one version of the story that uh, talks about Christopher Columbus discovering cacao beans after he essentially hijacked a trade ship on a journey to America and he brought the beans back with him to Spain. Uh, that was in 1502 several years after he sailed, first sailed the ocean blue. Another one of these accounts talks about a Spanish conquistador you may have heard of named Hernan Cortez. I believe, was he Cortez the killer? I think that was Cortez the killer of, of Neil Young uh, song story fame. But he was introduced to chocolate uh, supposedly by the Aztecs of that very same court of Montezuma. And after he got back to Spain, cacao beans um, became a hot commodity. He at first wanted to keep his his beans on the down low. He didn't want to share because these were uh, he knew this this would be uh, maybe more popular than he had. Uh, you know, he didn't bring enough for the class. Let's just put it that way. So he wanted to keep these for his personal supply. He kept it a very well guarded secret. Uh, another story claims that. It was monks who often are the discoverers of interesting new uh, intoxicants uh, who presented the Guatemalan Mayans uh, to Philip II of Spain in 1544 and, uh, in addition, brought back cacao beans uh, to present as a gift. Yeah, yeah. So there are, there are several possible origins, right, of how this trade begins, some more plausible than others. But no matter what happened— Chocolate did get to Spain, and by the late 1500s, everybody in the Spanish court loved this stuff. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right? Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Spain began importing chocolate in 1585. Other countries started visiting parts of Central America. France, Italy, they start learning about cacao and they bring chocolate back to their countries. Very, very shortly afterwards, chocolate mania spreads across the European continent. And, you know, we have to point out there's a problem that begins here that dogs the modern world of chocolate today, which is that they started also building chocolate plantations and they enslaved thousands of people to work on those plantations. But it went on. It went to what would become the United States as well. These beans were typically ground up and consumed throughout Europe, throughout the American colonies. But Europeans weren't super down with the traditional bitter drink. So they started adding their own stuff, kind of like the Maya before them. They added cane sugar, cinnamon, other just spices and flavorings they had around at the time. It was a very experimental era in the history of chocolate. And they came up with, eventually, a sweet, hot drink that has a passing resemblance to the hot chocolate you would consume today. But doctors of the day were not warning people to, you know, watch their sugar intake with all that cane sugar in your cocoa. Nothing like that. Quite the opposite. In fact, medical authorities of the time thought chocolate was darn close to a panacea. It could cure, you know, if it makes you feel good. The reasoning went, surely it must be good for mm. you as well. 
Exactly. I mean, that's what we were kind of talking about from the start. It was really lumped in with a lot of these other sort of dubious remedies, but it honestly was kind of starting to be treated as sort of a cure-all. Deanna Pucciarelli, who is a professor of nutrition and dietetics at Ball State University, um, has spent a lot of time researching the medicinal history of medicine. And she says that at the time, quote, at the time, chocolate was touted for its medical properties and prescribed as treatment for a range of diseases. The extra calories that it had would get would help you gain weight, which was at the time, I guess, considered a good thing. And also it had that caffeine like compounds in it that would give you a little bit of perk. She says it didn't treat the actual illness, but it did treat the symptoms. So we have another kind of laundry list of firsts in terms of how chocolate was used. So uh, much like in Mesoamerica, chocolate was considered kind of a luxury at first uh, for the wealthy upper class in Europe. That is until 1828 when a chemist from um, Holland uh, named Conrad Johannes von Houten figured out a way to treat cacao beans using something called alkaline salts that made a powdered chocolate that was water-soluble. Remember that ad we talked about at the very top of the episode? That was a breakthrough. So it would allow you to mix it directly in with your, your milk or water or whatever it might be and create kind of like a delicious chocolatey drink. Think Ovaltine, you mm-hmm. know, or Nestle's Quick or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this became known as the Dutch processing. And you'll know today the Dutch are still very connected and associated with chocolate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Van Houten or his father possibly also invented the cocoa press. And the cocoa press is hugely important. It separates cocoa butter from the roasted beans to make cocoa powder in an inexpensive way. And this can be spun out to a number of other chocolate products. This processing and this chocolate press make chocolate affordable to everyone. It also opens the door to mass production. And that's why in 1847, we see people like J.S. Fry and Sons create the first chocolate bar molded from paste made from cocoa butter, chocolate liquor, and sugar. Who added dried milk powder to chocolate to make milk chocolate? That honor goes to a Swiss guy named Daniel Peter in 1876. And a few years later, he links up with a guy named Henri Nestle to create the Nestle Company. And that's how milk chocolate gets to the mass market. But the entire time, there is still this sort of medicinal patina over the idea of consumption of chocolate, an association that reverberates, I would argue, in the modern day. Quick note, though, for anyone who's ever wondered, there are no dumb questions in ridiculous history. Coffee and chocolate are not related. Uh, we We should just put that out there. I know I was confused with that as a kid. Right. But well, they have similar properties. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they'll do a similar job. They both are beans. They both are steeped and can be processed in similar ways, but they are not the same. And they go really well together. Obviously, we like oh, everybody yeah. who doesn't like a good mocha, you know, mm-hmm. um, but th- you're right, Ben, that sort of connection of chocolate to the pharmacy. It really kind of does a double double duty in that it is a um, place where chocolate is used to obscure the taste of bitter medicines, you know, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, a lot of medications were originally derived directly from plants, uh, compounds known as alkaloids, which um, – they're just gross. They don't taste good. They, they yeah. make your mouth kind of pucker up. At first, this German chemist isolated these alkaloids um, in the 1800s to create something uh, known as morphine, very popular mm-hmm. um, painkiller. Uh, but in order to eat it, to take it, unless you wanted to take it intravenously, you would be able to mix it with a little bit of chocolate or like, you know, like you said, a spoonful of sugar. But chocolate was even better. I remember distinctly being a kid and getting prescribed certain medications that were like not over the counter. And there was this one in particular that just had this like maple syrup quality to it. I don't know exactly what it was, but I liked it. Um, (laughs) It was because of the way it tasted. Uh, So it obviously did quite a good job, but even today they flavor medicines for kids with like bubble gum and things like that. But this is kind of the beginning of that tradition. And it really solidified 
that connection between the pharmacy, which would go on to be the place where you'd have these soda counters, you know, these soda fountains at the pharmacist or the, you know, apothecary or whatever, because they needed that extra business to stay afloat. So they had all this stuff already on hand, these these syrups, uh, and they were able during the golden age of uh, patent medicines and soda fountains really, you know, take it to the next level and kind of define a new era of like what the pharmacy meant to the community. Also to jump in here, I was just curious. I typed in maple syrup flavored and the top results are Pepsi, pancakes, whiskey, lube, condoms, Mm -hmm. cereal, vape, ice cream, and toothpaste. There you go. Maple syrup's a pretty common uh, flavoring too. There's There's a whole science behind synthesizing flavors, which is by the way, the reason juicy fruit is named juicy fruit. That flavor does not exist in nature. And the food scientist who created it tried to come up with some something that sounded better than its actual chemical name. There is no such thing as juicy fruit, but dang, it's a good gum. If only it lasted longer. Anyway, on to chocolate. Yes. Yeah. Chocolate is a perfect cover for getting medicine into children or people who are very taste sensitive. We don't know exactly when pharmacists first put two and two together and started brewing cocoa powder and sugar to make chocolate syrup. But we know it had to be due in part to that invention of cocoa powder. And according to Parks, this still wasn't the kind of like smooth, decadent, quiet storm flavored chocolate you would experience today. Pharmacists had to mix cocoa powder with eight times more sugar than chocolate. Yeah. There was a weird (laughs) ratio at play here. You could probably argue that people didn't really like chocolate so much as they just like a hell of a lot of sugar. Yeah, they like flavored sugar, right? Just so. And we know that chocolate syrup, in terms of popularity, it exploded in the second half of the 1800s because of those patent medicines, you know, snake oil. The quick thing about patent medicines, they're named after the letters of patent. This was a thing the English crown would give to inventors of formulas that they thought were legit. Uh, And there's, of course, a little bit of corruption there. The first English medicine patent was awarded way back in the late 1600s. But over time, the name or the term patent later started referring to any over-the-counter drugs. And American patent medicines that went by the same name usually had no no claim to this. It's kind of like how sometimes you'll see people appoint themselves a bishop or something. They're not Catholic. They're just like, you know, the Reverend Bishop so-and-so sort of because they decided. That's what you could do with patent medicine. You slapped it on the bottle, made it look a little more legit, bought you some time with the rubes before you had to ditch town when they found out, you know, your <laughs> your curative uh, armpit sweat extract wasn't, uh, wasn't doing all it said it would. There was a huge demand for patent medicine too. During the time when chocolate syrup hit the market because the public needed treatments. They needed cures for ailments and medical knowledge, actual medical knowledge, wasn't up to the task. Sadly, a lot of these cures didn't just not help you. They could also harm you because of the stuff they had in them. Maybe Mm -hmm. pulverized fruit paste, uh, fermented vegetables, but also stuff like straight up opioids. And it was legal to do this until 1914 with the Harrison Narcotic Act. Well, I mean, we know that like the early uh, versions of Coca-Cola contained cocaine. You know, there was just very little oversight. Uh, and then th- thanks to the Harrison Narcotics Act, we had a little bit of help. Come on, Eli. Um, but- give me that original recipe. I'm kidding. I'd probably yeah, have to stop drinking no. Coca-Cola, which is a shame. It's my favorite sub soda. I feel so Atlantis. Anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Diet Coke guy myself. I don't know why. It's just it's a different thing. It's not necessarily because of the calories. I just like the way Diet Coke tastes and I like the burn of it. But here's the thing. Opium was kind of like, they didn't fully understand, you know, the addictive properties yet of opium and like, you know, who shouldn't have it, you know, whether like pregnant women shouldn't necessarily take it and things like that. They were giving it to young kids. There was a um, a very popular one of those patent medicines called Stickney and Poor's 
paragoric. Word of the day. Paragoric word before. It's a good one. Uh, and it was super popular. And it was given, it was a syrup, and it was given um, for all kinds of things, but it was even given to like kids, colicky infants as old as five days. And the main active ingredient was opium. Yeah. So, yeah. The big yeah. O. This is all absolutely true. And, you know, it did change kids' behavior. It seemed to calm them down. But to your point, it's fairly certain that people weren't aware of just how dangerous opioids could be. But it it did seem to be great for business because not only did it appear to work on a temporary basis, but it was also addictive, which meant once somebody was buying this stuff, they had a high likelihood to purchase more in the future. And then we've got factory mass production. This is the rise of easily swallowed pills. Before this, it was kind of a pain in the keister to make pills. You had to make them by hand. And to make a pill with a reliable dose, you had to mix it up. You had to cut the pills, roll the pills, dry them, and then coat them. It's one at a time. You know, it's, it's tough to make these. And that's why before the rise of mass-produced pill technology, medicines were usually in liquid or powder form. Or one of my favorite old-school ones, the poultice. God, poultices are so weird. It's like just make a mix of junk and then put it on. Oh, man. I come from a place where people were still putting poultices on folks. Oh, story for another day. Druggists would do this. Since they weren't making pills, they would mix up these liquid remedies kind of to a formula in a bespoke way. They would make them to order. So they would take a base of sugary flavored syrups, like chocolate syrup, for example, and then they would mix it into a beverage. Or you could take a medicinal powder and you could pour it directly into your refreshment of choice. The base of these drinks could be a lot of different stuff. It could be tea. It could be plain water. It could be a straight up shot of whiskey, which people also believed was super medicinal. And over time, there was a new kid on on the soda jerk beverage block, carbonated water. Carbonated water would become the base of choice, which is why I love old school soda places. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino <laughs> and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, 
Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I know. It's just fun. It's just like it's sparkly, you know. It gives you that burn, that bite that we talked about. Um, just a quick aside, like I through the podcast stuff that we do, we end up running into some interesting folks. And I had a thing where we were doing a podcast with Dr. Oz way back in the day. And um, I got to set up his little studio. And he did an interview with this, like, well-regarded urologist. I can't remember the guy's name. But the story was his father owned a soda jerk kind of count- counter in Long Island, like in around, around this time, or it was, no, it wasn't around this time. It was a little later, but this, this was the beginning of what became the golden era of kind of soda counters, like in the, you know, thirties and forties and all that. And he talked about this drink called an egg cream and an egg cream contains neither egg nor cream. It's just straight up whole milk, soda water, um, carbonated water and chocolate syrup. And, uh, this, this dude made one for everyone that was there helping out. And it was, it was quite good, but I just love the idea of like a thing with a name that, that, that is absolutely, uh, misleading. Yeah. And soda water at this time was considered to be a medicinal drink in its own right. And a lot of people love, love sparkling water. You know, a lot of people say, Hey, I want to drink water but I want it spicy. <laughs> that's, that's probably the best way to explain this stuff. These carbonated beverages mimic the mineral rich water that you could find bubbling up in natural springs across the world. We actually have some natural springs here in Georgia. In our old office, there is a cistern that collects water from a natural spring that has been driven underground. It's also the reason the main street in our neighborhood is named Ponce de Leon, which is a hilarious story. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to tell any ridiculous historians who want to write in and learn more. But soda water becomes widespread around the turn of the century thanks to a guy named Jacob Bauer. No relation to the guy from 24. Uh, he invents the process that allows you to sell tanks of pressurized carbon dioxide. And now we know, thanks to author Darcy O'Neill and his book, Fix the Pumps, we know that this stuff was amazing to the public. It was part health drink. It was part a sweet treat. And so it started spreading everywhere. It went to soda fountains, right? That's where you would take your date. That's where you would take your kids if they were good. Totally. Or one stick ball or something. And syrups became even more popular. And, and this phenomenon went international too. Obviously, you know, if anyone's ever had an Italian cream soda or something like that, like this was this was a technological advancement. It's weird to say mm-hmm. the idea of shooting pressurized air essentially into water and making it bubble was a thing that led to entire sectors of industry. Think about how much money like soda companies make right. that sell soft drinks. You know, this is all because of some 
guy that figured out, ooh, we can just like infuse this water with like bubbles and it'll be fun and tickle your nose. Oh gosh, if you want to see some uh, <laughs> some really funny animations about great inventors and little known inventors, then check out Stuff of Genius. It's this uh, old old video series I used to write back in the day and it, it holds up. It's a lot of fun. But I want to say the soda craze didn't always lead to good things. Coca-Cola, if you're listening, oh, no. I still do not forgive you for the creation of the Italian soda, Beverly, which is just double plus ungood. Max, you're nodding. You've been to the Coca-Cola yeah. Museum? <laughs> Sample it for yourself. Mm-hmm. So delicious. Well, you, I haven't had it. Can you guys describe it? It's kind of like an acrid, yeah, have you, bitter have, taste. Or, yeah. Have you read about war crimes? Like imagine one of those in your mouth. And then mm. there's a hint of orange in the air as the buildings burn. Beverly. It's what I envision poison literally tastes like. (laughs) You don't die from drinking it. Right, right. And people drink this on purpose for fun. Uh, Yeah. I guess. Maybe. I I think it still exists as a joke, maybe. It's like a digestive. It's similar to like drinking Fernet. Mm -hmm. But without the alcohol. Not a fan. Not a fan. Yeah. Have you guys, we've talked about this, I believe, on that. Have you guys ever had Malort, this like Chicago centric kind of, yeah. Is it kind of like that? Because Malort has a, has a medicinal aperitif or digestive quality with a hint of citrus. So what you're describing to me sounds kind of like Malort without the alcohol. Yeah, it's like Malort. Well, I, I would say the difference is Malort is drinkable. Anyway, Beverly. Mm. <laughs> well, that's, 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 that's debatable. That's debatable. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's put it this way. It is not a crime to sell Malort or Beverly. Somehow, we'd have to look at the laws in Italy, but it it is very popular to each their own. Anyway, yes, there's this panoply of flavoring that arises at this time. Vanilla, lemon, ginger, of course, our boy, chocolate. By the late 1800s, you would be hard-pressed to look at any mail-order pharmacist publication that did not have some kind of mention of chocolate syrup. It was expected that you would have that. The same way it's expected nowadays that a burger joint will also sell French fries. And drugstores almost always had soda shops. These soda fountains became a huge side business because people might not always need the medicines you have in stock, but they'll always want a sweet carbonated treat. And you can sell it if you're a drugstore owner as some kind of curative thing. And it's true. You can make kids take medicine if they uh, feel like they're drinking something sweet, chocolatey, tasty. 100%. And in fact, it was still largely kind of at this point still seen as connected, the soda world, you know, as connected to that kind of medicine delivery situation. An 1897 book called The Standard Manual of Soda and Other Beverages but a real, real interesting fellow wrote that, said that the best method for administering castor oil, for example, was to draw a glass of sarsaparilla soda in the usual manner and pour in the requisite amount of oil. Uh, Sarsaparilla, by the way, is, of course, a similar drink to to root beer. So even when Coca-Cola kind of got it on the game, as we mentioned earlier, their original secret recipe did have cocaine in it. So it was touted as this kind of like healthy, invigorating, you know, pep provider. to, you know, rejuvenate the brain and the body, right? And it felt like it did, right? Uh, you know, again, as I said earlier, Elon Musk has, uh, when he was in the process of attempting to acquire Twitter, uh, he said his next step was to buy Coca-Cola and put the cocaine back in. No word yet on whether that is serious, but we'll see. At this time, around the turn of the century, This is when we see people increasingly viewing chocolate syrup not as a treatment, not as a facilitation for the administration of medicine, but as a treat in its own right. And you start seeing it pop up in ice cream desserts. And pharmacists would keep ice cream and and soda counters around just to help their bottom line, to be honest, until they realized what a hit it was. And it seems that Uncle Sam may have indirectly helped with chocolate syrups crossover from the world of medicine to the world of mm-mm delicious. <laughs> no, keep it in. So uh, there, were, there were a lot of concerns now in the world of patent medicine, in the world of these things that purported to be panaceas, but ended up 
damaging people's health. And this led to the passage of something called the 1906 Pure Food and Drug Act. This said you had to tell people what was in this medicine you were selling them. Pretty reasonable. Imagine that. What a novel idea. But this this would have been like a precursor to the proper FDA. Like that wouldn't have been established for another decade or so, if I'm not mistaken, right? It basically began in 1906, at least the predecessor. It didn't get called the FDA until 1930. But yeah, yeah, this this is the origin point. I think it was even like, yeah, it was it was back when agencies sort of were they didn't have their own fiefdoms. They were sort of like piggybacking on top of each other. You had like the patent office and the U.S. agricultural division that were sort of like lumped in together. And that's sort of what sprang forth uh, to become the FDA. But no, 1906 Pure Food and Drugs Act is in fact big time the precursor to proper oversight by a governmental body of these things and, and much more specific agents that have to come in and clinical trials and testing and all that things, this is like ground zero for that Mm -hmm. version of uh, the timeline. Mm -hmm. And because of this, occurring in step with the clampdown on fake patent medicines, people started realizing, oh, hey, the chocolate isn't actually doing anything necessarily bad or immediately good for me. Uh, It's just, it tastes good. And I like the good things in life, said the American public. Uh, Around this same time, other types of chocolate were starting to get some to get a little shine of their own in the public eye. And that's because the Industrial Revolution made it much easier to turn cacao pods into cocoa. So prices started to plummet. And back to Pucciarelli, she says the price of manufacturing drops, the price of sugar drops, and then boom, you have chocolate bars. I added the boom, but I, I think uh, Pucciarelli would approve. We had a couple of those industrious Dutch and Swiss innovators that kind of created the early versions of like these chocolate bars and systems that allowed them to do like the cocoa press and all that. But this is scale right here, my friends, what they call that. So this was what allowed, you know, mass production. And then you have Hershey's in 1926 figuring out how to really market premixed chocolate syrup in order to use for all kinds of different stuff. It initially came in a can, uh, meaning that it would be shelf stable uh, so that the druggist wouldn't have to mix up new batches. But then in the 30s, Hershey's and other chocolate companies like Bosco's started to market it for home use because initially had been something only in the domain of the of the druggist. And the rest is history. You know, you put it on your ice cream, mix it up with your chocolate milk. I mean, marketing is is a hell of a drug in and of itself. I mean, that's where all of these uh, perceived uses sort of came from. Yep. And the rest is delectable and dietarily dangerous history. Uh, Pardon my alliteration there. Yes, and ridiculous. You will see a lot of claims nowadays about health benefits for chocolate. One that really stood out to me was a 2006 study that said eating a little bit of chocolate could have a similar effect to taking aspirin. Oh, also, shout out to our friends in ancient Mesoamerica. The Olmecs might be interested to know that, and uh, also Montezuma II, would be interested to know that theobromine has been marketed in the modern day as an alternative to erectile dysfunction drugs like Viagra. Still, despite all that, you ask the average person, they're going to say chocolate is a treat, not a treatment. And uh, and they would, they would be right. It's uh, the big dog by far of the confection market in the United States. The confection market overall is $35 billion worth of scratch today in U.S. dollars, not in cacao beans. And chocolate is like the vast majority of that $35 billion. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, we, we've mentioned this kind of throughout, but to this day, the idea of flavoring medicines and even like that, that, that really brittle, weird toothpaste they use at the dentist for kids and picky adults is important because if you're not going to take something for the most part, if it's really, really gross, or, you know, you just can't get the stuff down. And some people are really freaked out by needles and will go to any lengths uh, to avoid getting something injected intravenously. So these days you have, like I mentioned, bubblegum flavoring. That's really huge with amoxicillin, like in antibiotics. 
cherry flavored cough syrup, of course, you know, the famous grape, all of that mm-hmm. uh, are a big part still of the uh, the medical industry in terms of like over the counter and prescription strengths. Vitamin gummies. They're delicious. A million percent. They are. They're just good. They're just good. I love a vitamin gummy. I'll eat them. I will OD on vitamin C just from popping too many uh, of those emergency I love them. ones I that love are like them. shaped, the shaped like the little uh, tangerine, you mm-hmm. know, sections. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Flintstone vitamins also have flavoring. I mean, it's it's really common. They sure do. Yeah. Well, I think Ben, you and I both had you and I both have had occasion in the past through work stuff to go to some flavor labs. Mm-hmm. Like I think you went to like Doritos, uh, Fritos, one of the Frito Lay maybe, mm-hmm. and I got to go to Keurig Dr Pepper, and we both got to see in real time like the flavor labs with these so like cool. you know white coat. You know, it's really interesting. And it is like so much R&D goes into making things taste like other things. Um, So just to wrap it up with a little mention from this wonderful Smithsonian Mag article that we've uh, referenced a couple of times. Mary Poppins was was definitely right. The spoonful of sugar or chocolate or bubble gum or whatever Flintstones chewable flavor really does help the medicine go down. So good on you, Julie Andrews, remaining relevant to this day. I also want to shout out uh, the hardworking flavor scientist. Uh, If you want some further reading, there's a really fun story about uh, what I call the banana conspiracy. Have you ever noticed how banana-flavored candy doesn't taste like the bananas in your produce section? It's because they're different things. The Cavendish versus the Gros Michel. Do check it out when you've a chance. In the meantime, thanks as always to by far the sweetest part of our show. He helps the ridiculous medicine go down, Mr. Max Williams. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our bang and bop at the beginning and the end. And thanks to Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister, who in another life is selling patent medicine out of a covered wagon right now. Well, that's a horse of a different color right there. Uh, yeah, he, remind, he always reminds me of the, the Oz character. Um, maybe it's because he's bald. I don't know. It's something about the vibe. But um, yeah, Jonathan for sure. Jonathan for president of, of Snake Oil Salesman. Uh, huge thanks to Christopher Hostiotis here in spirit. Um, Eve's Jeff Coates, Max Williams, Alex Williams, all the all the hits. Uh, and to you, Ben, for um, being a, a good buddy and a, and a chocolate-loving traveling companion on this historical journey. Thanks so much, Noel. One last thing. We'll be back, of course, with more Ridiculous History. But in the meantime, why not learn about the ridiculous aspects of crime, romance, and the modern day news? You can check all of these out on our expanding Ridiculous Universe slate. Ridiculous crime, ridiculous romance, ridiculous news available today wherever you find your favorite shows. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.